Welcome back to the show, all you fantasy baseball buds. It is April 5th, and Richie and I are going to be breaking down the spring training performances, as well as giving you a little bit of a look ahead. We are going to be going over our divisional winners, as well as our World Series favorites. Richie and I have finished our Dynasty draft, as we talked about last episode, but we are going to be diving in a little bit deeper on some players that we really like that may be on the waiver wire and also had good spring trainings. Richie, how are you doing today? I'm getting excited. Opening day is just a couple days away. We're finally getting baseball back. MLB TV has been renewed for the year, so my wife is going to love watching baseball every single night. It amazes me that MLB TV and MLB.com allows us to operate a singular account with, I think I've sent this to seven, eight different people who use it throughout the year. And it's kind of turned into basically Netflix now. And we get it for free because of T-Mobile, a little bit of a shout out. Um, I think they've given it to it for, for my account for like five or six years, but honestly, it's the best gift of the year. You do have to obviously wait until like the last Tuesday before the season starts. So we watched some spring training games today. It would have been nice to have a couple of weeks ago, but you know, we had to just pull up some of these numbers for the guys that have been rising. Um, and I got to watch a little baseball today, but for the Brewers squad, I think you had like two 18 year olds out there from the kind of the extended camp wasn't real baseball, you know, just kind of getting the final rust knocked off for some of these guys. Low Kane was out there. Uh, he's looking, looking old, definitely not a fantasy relevant player this year, but to kick off the show, we have some news and notes. Uh, Richie, I'm going to let you carry this segment here. We have some injuries. We have a trade. We've got some young kids coming up. What do we have going on around the league? Yeah, I think the biggest one since we've last talked to the listeners is Jacob deGrom is out at least four weeks and probably more with a stress reaction in his right scapula. That is not good news. I personally think this is a direct result of his elbow issue that he was dealing with last year. I believe it was a partially torn UCL in his elbow. Usually requires Tommy John unless it's not that big of a tear. Um, some guys can come back from that and avoid Tommy John at least for one or two years. Sometimes, every now and then, they will have to avoid Tommy John altogether. But I think this is a direct result of compensating for that elbow. Uh, we did some research a little bit, and I found an article by The Athletic that stated that Brandon McCarthy stated he had similar injuries with this right scapula uh, roughly four to five times and he came back every single time and said this is not that big of a deal however i do feel it could be worrisome knowing that we know about the elbow and then additionally lance lynn has been shut down for four weeks as well as he will be undergoing knee surgery so before we move on to the rest of it i kind of want to pick your brain on what your thoughts are on jacob Degrom. i personally traded for him in our dynasty league i gave up a six dollar cabrian hayes and a six dollar tyler malley for Jacob DeGrom, who I believe is $39 in our league. But what are your overall thoughts before we get into the rest of the news and notes? The injury itself, by itself, does not bother me. It is Jacob DeGrom's continuous history now over the course of the last two years of these injuries. And you said it perfectly. I do believe as well that this is a direct correlation to the elbow. I didn't play on a professional level. I barely played, you know, beer league softball play a little bit of, you know, little league. And I had arm issues. I had elbow issues very early on in my, you know, young amateur 13, 14, you know, years of age uh, baseball life. And I found a way to kind of circumvent that pain by pushing my throwing motion into my lap, pushing it into my shoulder, and then pushing it into my rear delt in my back. 
I have severe shoulder issues now and I do not throw 99 miles an hour. Um, I'm concerned that what is going to happen with DeGrom because of the UCL is continuous nagging issues. When your elbow hurts and you have a tear in that UCL, you're going to have concerns the rest of your career because it wasn't repaired. If we look at Zach Gallen, I think he's the biggest, most probable, most likely pitcher in a lot of fantasy analyst minds to get Tommy John first this season because of the same UCL tear last year. I, I don't know the severity of his in relation to Jacob DeGrom's, but either way, a UCL tear usually only scars over, which then in turn makes it more uh, susceptible to re-tearing. So the injury itself for DeGrom doesn't scare me. I think his performance, his ability to throw at a high level of velocity, as well as just my own experience in life with those kinds of injuries, as soon as you start to allocate more stress on other parts of the body that it's not supposed to be uh, taking kind of that weight-bearing load on, you're going to have other injuries. And if you look at Severino for the Yankees, he had the elbow originally, and then he came back last year and had the lat, and then it was the shoulder, same kind of circumstances. So I'm not going to say that I don't like Jacob DeGrom this year. I think your trade in particularly was perfect value for the risk that you're now taking on, which is ultimately an injured third baseman, uh, a guy that is more of a defensive first player in Brian Hayes, and then Tyler Malley, who's currently pitching on a very bad team in a very bad ballpark. Underlying numbers are great, absolutely. But I would say, you know, we have to give DeGrom a month once he's back to really judge where he's going to be. And in all honesty, even after that first month, if he's perfect for four weeks, I'm going to still be concerned about that elbow. Yeah, and I guess the one silver lining is with this injury is it now gives him time to rest that elbow a little bit longer. I don't know if it's still nagging him or if he's got injuries and it's completely healthy as far as his mind goes and he was just compensating just to be on the safe side. So now he gets to rest for an additional four to five weeks. They might even take it slow with him. But the other thing is there's been a lot of rumors about him opting out of his current contract because regardless of what happens and his health, he can go out in free agency and make more than what he's making even at half a season of DeGrom is still better than probably half of the league. So that is the, the one positive outlook on this. But moving on, we've got some other news. Austin Meadows has been traded to the Tigers. The Rays have received Isaac Perez. I'm going to butcher that, so apologize. And they also get a comp balance round B pick. I think this is the Rays pretty much giving up on Austin Meadows, and uh, Perez is just kind of a utility player for them. Moving on, these following prospects have made the opening day roster. Bobby Witt, Julio Rodriguez, Spencer Torkelson, Bryson Stott, Alec Bohm, Matt Brash, Reed Detmers, and Jeremy Pena. Kind of a lot of names. We'll go through them quickly, but I just want to go through the rest. Horrible news. Riley Green fractured his foot and will be out six to eight weeks. And then lastly, another trade. Sean Manaya is headed to the Braves, and the Braves appear to be shopping Chris Paddock and Eric Hosmer. They haven't seemed to find a good trade partner. There was rumors that Chris Paddock and Hosmer might have gone to the Mets. However, the Mets are already over the luxury tax and Hosmer comes with a hefty price tag with his salary. So I think that's ultimately the reason why they opted out of that trade. So a lot of news there, Matt. I'm also curious which one of these prospects that made the opening day roster you're most excited about. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the first that come to mind is Witten and uh, Julio Rodriguez. Those are the two players that I have competing in the AL Rookie of the Year campaign, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Torkelson, obviously, is very exciting as well. I think the ballpark will limit his production, at least as a rookie. Uh, I think J-Rod and you know Bobby Witt will probably have better numbers because they play in a little bit more hitter-friendly parks, even though all three of these teams, they're no Cincinnati. Um, Bryson Stott's an interesting one. You know, he's going to obviously compete with you said Alex Baum, Baum being the third overall pick a few years ago. He's starting to look like a bust. And now that you're going to have him in a platoon, it's kind of frustrating. Um, Reed Detmer's making the team is great. I think the strikeout rate was phenomenal again this spring. I do have some concerns about him still being roughed up. That fastball is a pretty straight fastball. Uh, I do think development time in the major league is really important for him, though. We saw a little bit of that last year. Didn't do so well, but, you know, he's young, and we preach that a lot. 22, 23, 24, you've got to be patient with these guys, and you've got to understand that they're learning to pitch against elite-level professional hitters in the majors. And then kind of going back to Austin Meadows, I found this trade more interesting for his brother Parker, actually, who was the second-round pick by the Detroit Tigers. He is really kind of taking a negative fallback because of that missed 2020 season. He's 22 years old right now. He played in high A last season, so he'll probably be making the promotion to double A this year. I'm wondering if part of the reason they made this trade was to make Parker feel more comfortable so they could elevate him to the big league club at the end of the season or possibly next year. Because with Riley Green's injury, they obviously need to replace that production that they were expecting from Green. But it, we know what Austin Meadows is at, that, at this point, a very high launch angle, uh, you know, good hard hit contact, but he's a 230 hitter. Uh, I don't know if that's going to change by going to Detroit, but something really interesting to also keep an eye on is Willie Adamas did have improved production once he was traded to Milwaukee because of that batter's eye down there in Tampa. I am interested to see if Austin Meadows can have a better production and batting average there in Detroit. And then Sean Manaya being traded to the Padres. I think it's really good for depth of the rotation. I do think it's going to hurt Manaya's overall whip and ERA. I think he'll probably get more wins in San Diego as well as possibly quality starts. But the quality starts are going to take a hit if he is giving up more runs. And then as far as the Paddock and Hosmer trade, I think they're doing what a lot of Dynasty League owners do right before the season starts, which is shedding that salary. Hosmer was a bad contract and at this point, they're just trying to get any value for Chris Paddock that they can. But I think big league clubs, they've kind of caught on. You know, we, we know who Chris Paddock is. Um, but we are going to be moving on. We have some exciting spring trading standouts to talk about. And uh, Richie, your, your boy, who you just traded for this offseason, is number one. Byron Buxton has four home runs, batting 433 in 30 at-bats. Does have seven strikeouts, but he actually did homer again today. So before we move on in this list, what are your expectations this season for Byron? My expectations is I hope he stays healthy. Uh, that's the, the biggest thing. I easily see him hitting right around 290, 300. I think he can easily push that 30 home run mark. Maybe closer to 25 is a more realistic goal, but I have uh, very much optimism in that. I think he can steal you at least 20 bags. And if he stays healthy, I think he's in the running for MVP, kind of like Christian Yelich was a few years back. That's kind of, I don't want to say comp them because they're not similar players, but kind of that season that we had from Christian Yelich when he won the MVP, if he can provide something like that, obviously the biggest question mark with him is his health. So that's kind of where I lie with that is if he's healthy, that's kind of what I'm expecting out of him. 
Yeah, and uh, I've watched a few of his spring training at bats this uh, this year, and man, he looks so great. He looks so dialed in. I just hope he can take his foot off the gas a little bit in center field. You know, be a little bit smarter with his the way he slides. That's a it's a body that is fragile at times, and he plays a position that's very demanding. So yes, I think health is the biggest concern there. Moving on on our list, we have a few other really great standouts. Rafael Devers this spring, six home runs, 385 average. Luis Robert, three home runs, 353. Uh, Frankie Lindor, my boy, my big-time moneymaker from you, Richie. Four home runs, 294. Mickey Moniak, first overall pick now what is almost five, six, seven years ago for the Phillies. We've talked about him in the pod- podcast before. Five home runs, batting 344. This, to me, is the biggest standout. We're going to have to talk about Mickey in a minute here. Two more to finish off, though. We have Kyle Higashioka, the Yankees' star catcher now that Gary Sanchez is gone. Seven home runs in 10 games, 25 at-bats, 6 Ks. You have posted a expletive stud muffin. And I totally agree with that. Um, Bobby Dahlbeck has also had a very nice spring as well. So Richie, I've mentioned a lot of names to you. Let's circle back to Mickey Moniak at the end here, but who else are you really, if not surprised by, excited for with their hot start? I think it's got to be Kyle Higashioki. I was listening to the CBS guys, and they mentioned that ever since Josh Donaldson came over there, he's kind of adopted the batting stance from Josh Donaldson, kind of taking that approach from him. So sometimes all those guys need is a, a batting stance adjustment, kind of like Cody Bellinger did before he uh, tinker stinkered with it a little bit too much. Same with Joey Votto. Sometimes all it takes is a little tweak, and they just unlock their power and their their full potential. And maybe the Yankees knew what they were doing when they got rid of Gary Sanchez. They knew what they had in Higashioki, and maybe this is his breakout year. If I didn't have JT Real Muto in our league, that's probably one guy I'd be going for. Uh, and then the other one is Mickey Moniak, kind of uh, rumors that he was working out with Bryce Harper and uh, Kyle Schwarber. And so maybe there were some adjustments. Maybe he put on some weight. I haven't really seen what he's looked at, looked like in spring training. As you mentioned, we just got our MLB TV network. So uh, I'm going to be looking to see what he looks like and how composed he looks on the field. Those are the two big ones. I won't go too much into Devers, Robert, and Lindor. Lindor, we've talked about, and Robert and Devers, you know what you're getting out of those guys. They're having hot springs. So I fully expect them to translate that over to the regular season, kind of like we thought they would. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the uh, the asterisk that we want to put on all these guys here. You're hitting six home runs in 385. You should be. You're facing guys that haven't found their stuff, are knocking off rust. You're facing guys that may not have pitched a, a, above double A, if not high A. You should be dialed in. So when we talk about some of our spring training duds, that's going to also be a little bit concerning from at least in my perspective, the hitter side, the pitcher side, I think we give them more leeway because of what we just said. They're knocking off rust. They're kind of working on pitches that maybe they don't normally throw. But next up, we have some pitchers that in fact did stand out pretty well. Uh, So Richie, I'm going to list off a couple guys here. You kind of tell me what you think, who you're excited about. Nick Pavetta is going to start it off here. He had 15 and two thirds inning this spring, 22 strikes strikeouts. Tarek Skubal for the Detroit Tigers, who I am very high on, had a nice spring, 13.2 innings, 21 strikeouts, a 132 ERA, and a 117 whip. 
Mackenzie Gore had 12 innings pitched this spring, 16 strikeouts. Looks like the command and the control is geared in there. And then Devin Smeltzer, 11 innings with a .064 whip. I'll kind of take a break there, Richie. I think Smeltzer's probably the name that we aren't really, you know, familiar with in terms of this same classification, but a guy that does have upside. And I do have a Topps Bowman signed card by Mr. Smeltzer. Oh, do you know? That is new. Actually, Devin Smeltzer, a couple of years ago when he was on the Twins, he was RP eligible in a starting pitching role, and they kind of gave him a shot, and I picked him up. He did well for like a, a start or two, and then he kind of fell apart there. So he is a, a, he's seen the majors before, um, not seen too much success. Um, curious to see what happens with him. But I think the big one is Mackenzie Gore, 16 strikeouts. I, I like what he's done, mechanical uh, adjustments told me in the offseason uh he did give up i believe it was six runs i'm trying to pull it up as i stall for some time yes six runs in 12 innings that is uh, a little concerning to me however like you said it's people working on things they're shaking off some rust three walks to 16 strikeouts though you'll take that all day every day if chris paddock gets moved I think they try to get Mackenzie Gore into that lineup. However, they do have Nick Martinez, which they signed in the offseason, and now they just acquired Sean Mania, so he will have to be fighting. I just think he needs to show that he can continue this in AAA before they show him the, the opportunity. And who knows, maybe Nick Martinez can't translate what he did across the seas over to the MLB. Obviously, there's comps that when you're across the pond, as you will, it's equivalent to AAA, so... They're kind of equivalent, so we'll see if he can translate that low ERA and high strikeout, that being Nick Martinez. Yeah, and um, I, th- I think for me, the big takeaway is Scooball. Scooball is a guy that had extremely high strikeout rates in the minor leagues. He's basically a comp to Reed Detmers, throws harder than Detmers, though. Had the kind of same issues. Control, fastball was very straight. He got beat up over the last couple of years in the major leagues. And we talk about this a lot. Until you hit that age 25, 26 in particular age, you're learning how to pitch. I think Scooball actually might push the envelope a little bit, come out this season, have a good season. If he can have an ERA under four, I think his strikeout rate is really going to amplify you in points leagues. Obviously, categories leagues, you want those strikeouts, you want those wins. He's going to hurt you in the whip. As we talked about, he had a 117 whip this spring. I think that's probably what you've got to expect and hope for. Uh, but moving on on our list, you just mentioned Nick Martinez. He is another spring training pitching standout with a .092 whip. Uh, he's been absolutely phenomenal. I think, again, you mentioned it, AAA. Spring training's kind of double AAA, you know, guys knocking off rust. So it's good that he's come out here and at least shown the pedigree to be successful. Now he will have the opportunity in the major leagues to actually show that. And they did sign him to a four-year deal. So he doesn't really have the choice outside of – the organization doesn't have the choice outside of moving him to the bullpen or just flat out cutting him to really slide Gore at least into his spot unless he struggles right away. But I do think Gore makes a rotation spot very soon. Uh, a couple other guys on the list, Nick Lodolo had a 2.38 ERA, a .97 whip in 11 innings and 12 Ks. Our boy Jesus Lazardo with a .77 ERA, a whip of 1.03 and 11.2 innings and 10 Ks. Uh, and Corbin, this is an interesting one, Richie. Patrick Corbin has been a guy we have absolutely dumped on for the past few years. Nine innings, 10 Ks, 0.84 whip, zero ERA. Pretty impressive. Uh, and last guy on this list, Alex Manoa, coming in with a 0.64 ERA, 0.86 whip, 
14 innings. Manoa looks he like he is ready to pitch. He will pitch against the Yankees come next week. Yeah, I fully believe Alec Manoa might be the best starting pitcher for the Blue Jays, and that's saying a lot now that they got Kevin Gosman, who was a breakout last year. I fully expect him to be the workhorse for that team. Corbin Byrne, or uh, Patrick Corbin, I don't believe it. Um, I think he's just having a good stretch here. I don't know if he's done something differently or if he's just getting lucky. So I'm not really buying that, but it is interesting to note. Jesus Lazardo, he has increased his fastball velocity. The 10Ks is exciting. I worry if he can com- keep his command with the three walks. It is still pretty good, but I wonder if he's going to rely on his secondaries too much and kind of work the corners of the edge, and hitters will start to adjust to that. And then Nick Martinez, like we mentioned earlier, I think he keeps that rotation spot, and I really don't think we see Mackenzie Gore. But those are the the main takeaways out of those. Yeah, and we all want to see Gore, but with mechanical changes, he needs to replicate those changes. You're right. He needs AAA reps. And I think going down for two, three months would be really beneficial for him to not only help with those mechanics, but to also help with confidence. And at some point, the Padres are going to need a pitcher in that rotation. That happens to every team throughout the league. Injuries happen. And I think if Gore can come up in that time frame, he'll be able to have the confidence to go out there and really produce at a high level. The fear is you bring him up after opening day, you put him in that rotation, he struggles. There goes the confidence. Now you're reworking him all over again. So I do think you're right. Patience has to be had with Gore. Uh, so moving on, some spring training concerns to start us off. We're going to start off with a few pitchers here, Richie. Um, Aaron Nola, yikes, he started spring training bad. You have here in our notes not to be worried, though. His last outing was five and one-third with what looks like nine strikeouts and one earned run. That is more of what we expect from Nola. So that is great news. Uh, Logan Gilbert had an ERA over seven. Looked like he was working on some mechanical changes as well as kind of changing the way he grips the ball. Hopefully they were just straight shot like tries and uh, he can translate back to his original form this season. There's a lot of great news on him. He was working out with Jacob deGrom this offseason, so I think you should expect to have him have a good year, but I am going to be eagerly awaiting his first few starts. Uh, Joe Musgrove had a 2.12 whip. That's very high with a 7.94 ERA, did not have a good spring. Brandon Woodruff came in with a 1.71 whip and a 10.80 ERA. Uh, I would imagine Woodruff was working on things, hopefully. Uh, his counterpart in that Brewers lineup, Freddie Peralta, also did not have a good spring at a 6.28 ERA and a 1.26 whip in 14 innings. And to finish off this list, Matt Manning had a 1.58 whip, which is pretty high, but he did finish with a 3.75 ERA. Manning has been pretty atrocious himself. So, Richie, out of all these guys, who are you actually worried about? Yeah, I think the the biggest one has got to be Joe Musgrove, what we saw from him last year, and then he kind of faltered near the end. I don't know what's going on with him, but it doesn't look good when you have over a two whip. I mean, you like to see that at the 1.25 or lower. It's kind of what I like to see as far as being good. Anything below that or under one is great in my opinion. So when it gets above two, then you've got some concerns. I haven't heard or seen any rumors that are saying he's working on new pitches or new development, so it sounds like he's just trying to work on it. However, these are small sample sizes with spring training. 
So I don't want to put too much concern into it. If he continues this into the beginning of the year, I'd say maybe near the end of April, if he's still having bad outings, then there's some cause for concern. Aaron Nola, I wrote in our notes that not to be worried. However, you should expect this from Aaron Nola. I've had him on my team for multiple years. He has the ability to go out and pitch a no-hitter, and he also has the ability to pitch for three innings and give up nine runs. You never know what you're going to get out of him. He's a really streaky player and just feeds off the energy, and when he's feeling it, he's on, and when he's not, he's off, and you're not going to get something in between that's consistent. Logan Gilbert, as you mentioned, working on a lot of things in the offseason. I think he developed some additional pitches, works on them in the beginning of spring. So you might see some inflated ERA there. However, if he develops them as he should, I think you see that kind of develop over time. I think if you can, you try to buy low or pick him up before he starts honing in on that. And then uh, Woodruff. I'm not too concerned. Same with Freddie Peralta. There's nothing to suggest this. This is just my own personal thoughts is you come from Milwaukee. We're dealing with snow and freezing cold, and now they're down in Arizona in the heat. I'm wondering how much of it is adjusting to the environment and kind of just going from cold, and then all of a sudden, boom, the lockout's over. Now you go down to Arizona, and now you have to go pitch right away. So that's just me speculating nothing to say there's no reports on that or them talking about the heat but that's just kind of my initial thoughts yeah and you got to mention with gilbert in regards to peralta and woodruff a lot of the top end starters in the game when they pitch in spring it's to get their workload built up so that they can go out and pitch five six innings right away but it's also to give them an opportunity to work on their pitch mix a little bit, to try some new things, to see if they're comfortable with maybe changing the way that they have formerly done things. And that's usually in the past 10, 15 years of spring trainings that I've seen what happens when you have inflated ERAs by good pitchers that have a good track record. They're simply trying things out. Maybe they've picked up a cutter. Maybe they've picked up a curveball when they're slider dominant and they're just throwing it and they're getting absolutely nuked on because that's not something that they've been comfortable with and now all of a sudden you never see that curveball in the regular season the following spring out comes the curveball once again and hey now it's a little bit better you know it's about developing your pitch arsenal and i think spring training is the place for a lot of these guys to really do that in game action moving on we have some hitters and in all honesty i'm extremely concerned about two of these players so starting off we have jorge polanco in 32 at bats he has 11 strikeouts and is batting 0 0.063 we have jesse winker following him up at 29 at bats nine strikeouts batting 0 0.069 Cody Bellinger, if those of you who have been listening to any other podcasts know Bellinger has had a horrific spring. He comes in at 33 at-bats, 18 strikeouts, batting .121. Josh Bell finishes it off here with a uh, 34 at-bats, 7 strikeouts, and a .47. I do have Adamas on here for the Brewers, but he actually looked very good today, so I am going to kind of neutralize that. Richie. Out of all of these guys, who has the biggest impact for you in where they've been drafted, where the expected production comes from, and the, what these numbers are telling you? Yeah, that's tough. Uh, I think the biggest thing is this is a very small sample size. We're talking 29 to 35 at-bats. That's over roughly a, about a week is what you would see in the normal season. And if we were talking about this stat line over a week in the middle of May or June, nobody would bat an eye. 
I think the biggest takeaway is what you said, Bellinger. 18 strikeouts and 33 at-bats. That's over a 50% strikeout rate. That is absurd. I know he's been working on multiple batting adjustments and different stances. And Dave Roberts came out and said Bellinger finally found one that he likes. That doesn't give me much room for optimism out of that. But I think the the one you were talking about, Jesse Winker, I, I believe he's getting drafted, depending on which site you're on, is anywhere from top 80, top 90 to 150 pick. And you're drafting him for that power outbreak and that uh, average. But he does bat lower when he's facing left-handed pitching. Um, and he's usually just dominating right-handed pitching I'm interested to see if the environment shift, if he's worried uh, with some pressure from Kelnick, Haniger, and now J-Rod, if he's trying to think about, are they going to move me to first? Am I going to be playing DH? Am I going to be playing center, left, right? I'm wondering if there's those mental blocks going on in his head, and that's kind of what's causing this .069 average. I wouldn't be too concerned about it right now, um, but if it advances into the regular season, then I might start to worry a little bit. But what about you? What are the ones that stick out to you out of this list? For me, it's Jorge Polanco. Um, I, I think Polanco is kind of the last guy on that tier frame for second base slash shortstop. You're probably drafting him as a second baseman, and you, you felt confident drafting him and having him there. And, I mean, .063, you said it perfectly. It's basically a week of at-bats. But you need to get, like, go into the season with confidence in these guys. And Polanco is supposed to be a good second baseman. So I want to monitor that situation for the first month. You're going to have Correa and Buxton in that lineup. And that should help amplify his counting stats. Not if he's going to hit like this, you know. And this, this would probably translate to around a 200 batting average over the course of a month. If you have a really bad week, you've got to make up for it. But Polanco cannot afford to come out of the gate like this. Hopefully, he just, like you said, maybe it was environmental with the weather. Maybe it was that he hadn't picked up a bat in four weeks since the lockout. Um, but all of these guys, it's interesting to monitor, right? Josh Bell, obviously, there with the Nationals. He's got a job. He's not losing it. Adamas from Milwaukee, he's not losing it. Bellinger's not losing his job. Winker could lose his job. I think he's really the only guy on this list that's like, you might not be playing if you're playing bad. The rest of them don't really have a choice. Moving on, we have some names to look out for in 2022. And I, I tried to put this list together, Richie, in a way that most of them would hopefully be waiver wire guys so people could still pick them up. Um, if you want to jump in with any guys that are, are currently rostered that might be tradable for, feel free. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and kick off the list, and then we'll get started with talking with a few of them. First one is actually a pickup you made today in Reed Detmers. We spoke a little bit about him earlier. Very good strikeout rate, very good curveball. Uh, second technical season, he did come up a little bit last year. This will be his first big league season in a six-man rotation as well. So don't look for double starts for him, but do look for the fact that hopefully he will stay healthy because he'll have more time to rest. Tyler Stevenson is my next guy here playing for the Cincinnati Reds, has some experience at first base, will be catching for them. Uh, I think there's opportunity here for him to have a really big breakout season. I don't project him to, but I think the opportunity is there. And if you're in dire need of a catcher, he's a guy that may or may not be out there, but you should also be able to trade for him for relatively cheap. Another catcher, Sean Murphy, batting 520 in spring with two home runs, has made a significant batting stance adjustment. Uh, the manager there has said that they are very happy with it. He's happy with it, and they expect to have him kind of tap into his power potential more. 
Gavin Lux is the next guy on this list. Playing time should be there for Lux now that AJ Pollock has been traded away. Will we see a platoon split with him against left-handed pitchers, which he has not been good at? That is the question we'll have to watch over the first month. But Gavin Lux was the best hitter in the minor leagues just a few years ago. And before we stop to take a break here, Richie, Alejandro Kirk, my guy coming in here. Uh, Alejandro Kirk, you know, there was some little bit of rumors that he may play DH up there in Toronto. There was a trade. They do now have a new catcher in Collins from the White Sox. So that may ch- like kind of chop into that a little bit. Uh, what do you think of the names I listed off? And what are some of the projections you have this season? Yeah, and I wasn't originally going to pick up Reed Detmers until we kind of talked about it. Started looking, diving into the the spring stats and as you mentioned before, five and two thirds, eleven strikeouts over the spring, only two in runs, not even a single walk. He kind of developed exponentially last year in the minors, had a fifteen point seven K per nine. So he's building off of that. He did get batted around. His ERA is probably going to be over four, but that strikeout potential was too much for me to pass on, especially knowing uh, the guilt if you would have picked him up and we would have had the Logan Gilbert situation all over again. For those of the you that don't know, last year I had Logan Gilbert on my team, held on to him all year until he got called up. He got called up, was miserable, didn't know where. He looked lost on the mound watching his games. I was excited. And then just pitches were getting overthrown, getting past the catcher. And I was like, this kid is not ready. He needs to go back down. He's got a lot of development to do. I ended up dropping him. Matt picked him up roughly about a week or two later. And then he started to settle down and kind of honed in. Still had above four ERA, but showed that promise. Now getting drafted as a top 150 pick. So that kind of burns a little bit for me. So I couldn't have that happen again. The person I was originally going to pick up was Alex Cobb, who we haven't even mentioned yet. Over spring, he's gone seven and a third with nine strikeouts, only one earned run and three walks. Now, it is Alex Cobb. We've heard about him in the past, back when he was on the Rays. He was on the Angels last year. Put up decent numbers. But then you think he throws that splitter. And who was the last pitcher that threw a splitter and was on the Giants? And that was Kevin Gosman. And look what happened with him, the re uh, acclimation to stardom. And now he's over as Toronto Blue Jays as their ace. So I know I'm kind of getting off track here, but just to give a little uh, background into it, that's kind of the, the biggest one for me. If you can go and get Reed Detmers, I would do it. it. Even in a redraft, I think he can give you those strikeout numbers. Uh, he might hurt you in ERA. Tyler, Moving on, Tyler Stevenson. Honestly, unless you're in a shallow league, he's probably rostered. I know in our Dynasty League he is not, but there is a chance I would pick him up just for the power potential. Sean Murphy should be out there. I worry about his average even though he's having a good spring. Gavin Lux, worth it. I think he's going to be played all over and get that position eligibility everywhere. He's already second in short base, shortstop eligible in ESPN. I think he could easily get outfield and possibly third, depending on Justin Turner's health. And then Alejandro Kirk to end it. The Blue Jays now have four catchers. Zach Collins, Alejandro Kirk, Danny Jansen, and in the majors, they got Gabriel Moreno knocking on the door. I'm worried about his playing time. I know he's got immense power, but I just don't see him having the playing time. So I think out of this list, the biggest one for me is Reed Detmers. Yeah, and I agree with that. Reed Detmer's strikeout production, which you're looking for, whether it's categories or points, right? You're looking for that kind of production, and Detmer's is going to give it to you. 
Um, the only re the only way I see him being a detriment is if he comes out and pitches like he did last year, like you had mentioned Logan Gilbert did, which I think there may be out of four or five starts, one blow up. And you expect that from a rookie and a blow. It might be four or five runs, right? Six runs. It might be a home run in the fifth inning where they had given up two runs and at the three run home run. And now it's a five run game. And you're like, okay, had he just not thrown that ball over the plate, it's a much better game. Those are the types of things you look for in rookies, though, especially their first real big league season. Was it just one pitch or was it continuous command issues? I think in spring we saw more of that command from Detmers. And I think last year when you look at it, the command was all over the place. He'd give up two walks, he'd give up a hit, and then you give up a home run. I want to see those kinds of things change for him this season, and I think you'll have immense value in the return. Moving on the list a little bit here, we have Jeremy Pena, the starting shortstop for the Astros. Had a pretty nice spring. I think you're going to get some good counting stats from him. He's also going to be a guy developing. Again, he's a rookie. Next on our list is Randall Gritchick, a guy you and I, Richie, have spoken about a lot off the air. Uh, we're very excited about his opportunity there with the Rockies. I think his numbers should go up. He's a guy with a good amount of raw power, has had issues with the average. Coors Field should help with that average. Edwin Rios for the Dodgers is a guy on our list. A lot of buzz coming out of spring training about Rios. One of the reasons they were actually comfortable trading AJ Pollock. I would expect Rios to be a platoon guy, kind of like you talked about with Lux, probably not as much playing time, but bouncing around the diamond from first to outfield, possibly DH at times. Again, a lot of raw power, kind of the trend on this list here. We have a name for the Giants, and I'm going to butcher it, but I'm going to give it a shot. Thero Estrada. Going to be a shortstop that came up last year, provided a little bit of power, did not make the postseason roster, but I think this guy might be an absolute steal in later rounds, um, or excuse me, in, in late waiver pickups going into the season, possibly early month of the season. Giants hitters, for whatever reason, find a way to produce that lineup I've talked about on the podcast before, to me, is atrocious. I would not be surprised if he got enough playing time and if he came out of the gate and surprised people and built on his performance from last year. I would say, though, unless you're in a very, very deep league, just kind of wait and see what, what happens first couple months of the season. Uh, Jesus Lazardo, who we talked about earlier. We have Matt Brashier, who's going to open the season in the Mariners rotation. We have Taylor McGill as well for the Mets. He's going to be a guy I'm keeping an eye on um, all season. Excuse me, Tyler McGill. Uh, I liked what he did this spring. I like his pitch mix. Doesn't have the high velocity that I look for in a starting pitcher, but is working on the command. And I think with those big horses at the top of the rotation, he can learn a thing or two and actually develop into a very good four slash three pitcher. I think he might, by the end of the season, be better than Chris Bassett. Last two on our list is Matt Manning and Spencer Strider. Manning did get beat up. We talked about him in the spring training performance numbers. Uh, I do expect him to take a step forward this year, though. He is kind of getting closer to his prime age. And then Spencer Strider did make the team for the Braves. We don't have any word yet on that rotation. I do expect Strider to start in the bullpen, maybe in long relief. Yeah, a lot of names there. Jeremy Pena does look like he might be leading off for the Houston Astros. The reason why they kind of let Houston, or uh, Carlos Correa walk is because they have faith in this kid. He's looked ready. Last year, he batted 287 in the minors for AAA. He's got some decent pop. I don't expect too many home runs out of him, but maybe 15-20 with a, a solid 280 batting average. He does have a little bit of speed, stole a few bases. Maybe he gives you 5 to 10, but not too much. I think he's solid. He might come in the running for Rookie of the Year. I don't think he's going to win it. Um, moving on, Randall Grichik. I think he's going to 
you know, maybe bat 240, 250 over in Colorado. He's not going to be that 220, 230 uh, batting average guy. But I think the home runs will still be right around 30, 35. We kind of talked off the air, and people talk about Colorado boosting a batter. But it's more so for the average, the way the, the ball flies. It's more so to increase the amount of singles and doubles that you see out of these guys just because the ball travels a little bit faster, so it's harder for those defenders to get it in the outfield. Edwin Rios, I don't know how much he's going to really provide you for fantasy unless you're looking long-term in a dynasty league. Thyro Estrado, totally butchered it. I don't think he's worth picking up even in a, a deeper uh, dynasty league. I think there's a lot of other guys that you could stash. Jesus Lazardo, we talked about. Matt Brash, I think he's primed for a breakout. Tyler McGill, I think, I don't know. I don't really believe in him as much as you do, and I think he's just kind of a fill-in for Jacob DeGrom. Matt Manning, I need to see it before I believe it. And then lastly, Spencer Strider. I think this is more of a guy who, if he plays for the Braves, makes the opening day roster. He might have even been sent down already. I haven't checked on that yet. But I see him as a long relief role. Only two pitches with that fastball and slider, although they are both filthy. When you only have two pitches in the majors, it only takes you so far. Look what happened with Chris Paddock with his fastball and changeup. And he couldn't develop that curveball well enough to be an effective pitch. But it looks like the last two spots are still for grabs. It looks like Husker Yanoa is going to get at least one of them. And then the last one is kind of coming down to Kyle Wright or Tucker Davidson. And if Kyle Wright gets it, I like what he, I see in him. Kind of a, a high prospect that kind of faltered over the past couple of years, but so far in spring, he's gone seven and a third with only five hits, not even a run given up, one walk and eight strikeouts. That's what you like to see. Then again, it is only spring. It is only seven and a third innings, and who knows what the Braves are going to do. Next week, we could be talking about Kyle Wright as going down to AAA and pitching. So those are kind of my thoughts on all these players. Yeah, I mean, Kyle Wright, kind of like Alec Bohm, just top five pick, didn't didn't translate, hasn't translated yet, doesn't mean it can't. Uh, I think he's still 22, 23 years old down there in Atlanta, has the opportunity to figure it out, but it's hard. You know, there's a lot of really good young arms battling for that final ro- like roster spot and rotation spot. And I think the biggest thing is there's depth. There's opportunity throughout the year, again, for that to change. So I do like the idea of Kyle Wright getting an opportunity. Um, and you're right. Some of the guys that I have mentioned, they're they're complete flyers. They're names that I think, for whatever reason, you just want to keep an eye on more or less. You know, Would you really want to roster an Edwin Rios right off the bat? Not necessarily unless you're in a very deep league. But he could be a guy by June that is making an impact and starting in your in your lineup. And if you're not watching him now, someone else is. So now's the time to at least keep your eye on him. Uh, maybe you know star him in CBS leagues or put him on your watch list in ESPN. And guys, uh, that, and the, go ahead. And the other the other guy I want to mention before we move on is uh, especially if you're in a categories league. Name we mentioned earlier, Bryson Stop. He did make the opening day roster. It's unknown if he's gonna take the shortstop position from Diddy Gregorius or if he's going to just outright win the third base or platoon with Alec Bohm. But I do see him as a 280 to 300 hitter with some stolen base uh, potential. I don't see him hitting for much power, maybe 5 to 10 home runs. But it kind of reminds me of David Fletcher of the Angels, and that's a useful guy, especially in categories. So 
if you're playing in those categories leagues or even an NL only league, that's somebody that you could be grabbing right now before it gets announced. Yeah, and to your categories league comments, um, if you have the opportunity right now while you're listening, you have a guy on your team that you're willing to drop, you drop him immediately for C.J. Abrams. News has not broke whether Gore or Abrams are making the opening day roster yet. I think we should know that by midnight tonight. Um, and if not by noon tomorrow, but if CJ Abrams makes the opening day lineup, he will be pl- platooning at shortstop and he will be stealing bases. I also expect him to hit at least 250. He's got Billy Hamilton's speed and he's got a better contact approach. This is going to be a kid that hits 300 and steals 40, 50 bags before he really bulks up and starts being a power threat. I think CJ Abrams is the number one categories roto winner off the bat from the waiver wire because you just don't find guys with this kind of speed after the draft a lot of people have overlooked abrams because they just didn't give him a shot to make the roster has had a great spring tatis's injuries has literally opened door for him uh, he would be my guy for right away waiver pickup in categories all right well while we're talking about this i'm looking at my categories league and he is available i do have some speed we've talked about my team in the past with you know mondesi and Albies. But I could drop Alex Kirilov, Luke Voigt, CJ Krohn, Alex Cobb, Jesus Lazardo. Those are pretty much the only guys I can really drop in that league. Would you drop any of those guys? I would drop Krohn. You have the first base eligibility of Kirilov and Voigt. You could kind of cycle those guys in and out. You know, you're going to be limited with Krohn. If he's not playing in Colorado, you're probably not starting him. And what we saw from him last year wasn't eye-popping numbers for a Colorado you know, first baseman with decent potential. And even when he was in Minnesota, had some good power, but the average just really wasn't there. I think the opportunity to get steals from Abrams is, is much more important than what C.J. Crone offers. More importantly, steals are a valuable asset. People will trade you for Abrams just for the simple fact that they are desperate for steals. You could probably find a better first baseman in that offer than what you're getting from Crone. Yeah, the only issue is crone in colorado that, that i don't have much power so him being able to hit that 25 to 30 home runs is going to be huge i don't know if it's worth sacrificing that much power for stolen bases i don't want to hang up the podcast too long so i'll have to think about this and we might have to talk off the air before we publish this because i know some of our listeners might be in the same league as me i mean just to finish you're going to get the same number from home runs of home runs from luke voigt if not more and probably Kurloff. I think Kurloff has 25 home run potential this season. So this will be a conversation we will have later. Um, we are going to move on. We are very excited to do our ALNL division winners this season. We're not going to spend an extensive amount of time on this because we are not a simple baseball podcast. We are a fantasy podcast, but we want to give you a little bit of our our expertise insight into what we think is going to happen this year. So, Richie, I'm going to let you start it off. Run down your NL divisional winners. Um, go ahead and give me your wild cards. If you want to talk a bit, a little bit about why you think a team's going to win that division, go for it, and then I'll finish up with mine. Absolutely. Let's uh, let's go through it. So, I'll go through them a little bit here, and then I'll kind of break it into why. So, NL East, I have the Mets winning it. I think with the addition of Scherzer, Marte. You know, Eduardo Escobar, they have Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso. They are stacked. Um, moving on, NL Central, 
you got the Milwaukee Brewers, not much competition. They have the St. Louis Cardinals to compete with. But outside of Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, they don't have much going for them. They don't have a great pitcher outside of Adam Wainwright. They do have Jack Flaherty, but he has injury concerns now. Then you talk about the Brewers with Corbin Burns. Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta, we're just kind of deep as far as pitching goes. Yeah, we could increase the hitting, but, you know, hitters can come out of anywhere. NL West, I got the Los Angeles Dodgers. Not many people can compete with them, possibly the Padres, which ties right into the wild cards. My first wild card I have is the Atlanta Braves. I think with Matt Olson replacing Freddie Freeman and them getting Ronald Acuna back, I think they can build on their national championship. I just don't think they're going to be able to compete with the Mets and all the additions they've got. My second wild card, staying in the same division, is the Philadelphia Phillies. I think that's going to be a juggernaut of a division. And I think with the additions of Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber, I think they have the the bats to compete but I don't think it's enough to win the division. And then lastly, the San Diego Padres, they kind of just were off with the Fernando Tatis, but they did acquire Luke Voigt, who we do like his power. Uh, there's rumors that they might be acquiring Brian Reynolds. They're trying to move Chris Paddock. They're acquiring Sean Mania. They're making moves. I think they're willing to go all in. CJ Abrams, I think, will be a decent fill-in until Fernando Tatis comes back. And then... Moving on, I think the NL champs will be the New York Mets, and they will be going to the World Series. Do you want me to go through AL? Do you want to kind of go over your NL right now? That's very ballsy. Um, I like it. I like it. I, I'll run through my NL real quick before we get to the AL. A uh, little not breaking news, but something I found out before the podcast. You and I have been discussing third base options for your team. I've been trying to circumvent slash get in the way of that by requiring third basemen so that you can't have them. And I stumbled across the fact that the Padres are actively, aggressively pursuing Jose Ramirez from the Guardians. And Ooh, a trade is expected before Thursday. Expected. Um, expected. Does it say is it going to be for Chris Paddock and Eric Hosmer? Or um, I think with what the Guardians are asking, it's probably a bag of baseballs and maybe some popcorn because uh, Lord knows they clearly have absolutely no idea how to make, make trades. But when you look at the past fifteen years of their overall franchise, um, but no, it is going to be very interesting watching that kind of unfold. Well, that's interesting because they have Manny Machado. So what? Would Manny Machado go to that? So, yeah, my expectation would be that Machado would slide back over at short. Tatis comes back, plays in the outfield, and you have Jose Ramirez there at third base. If if that's the case, I might, ooh, I don't know. Maybe do I move the Padres? You know what? We'll save it for another podcast, but I might move the Padres up here. But go on with your uh, NL prediction. Yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit of tidbit-worthy news there. Um, starting off, NL East, I have the Philadelphia Phillies. I think the addition of Kyle Schwarber as well as Nick Castellanos creates one of the most dangerous three-headed monsters in all of baseball. I think it makes the reigning NL MVP, Bryce Harper, that much better. I think Harper was able to produce and carry that team without really any help last year. You add two massive sluggers, one with a great average, the other with prodigious power in Schwarber and Castellanos. It's going to elevate him, add to his counting stats. You now cannot pitch around Bryce Harper without having to face one of those guys behind him. You also talk about Mickey Moniak, who's had a good spring. If he can come out and produce, this team's going to be dangerous offensively, more so than anyone else in that division. The pitching is the question. Can Zach Wheeler continue to pitch like he did last year? And can you actually get Nola to 
do something positively on the mound. Zach Eflin has also had a pretty good spring. Ranger Suarez were very high on. So there's some names. Kyle Gibson's also in that rotation still. I know Central, I have the Milwaukee Brewers. You hit it right on the head. I don't have anything to go deeper on there. NL West, LA Dodgers, it would be absolutely madness for me to pick anyone but them. My wild cards are going to be the Padres, as we just talked about, the Atlanta Braves, then the New York Mets, who you have going to the World Series. It is a little bit interesting here with the AL East. Um, I saw this a couple days ago. This is the last season Major League Baseball has actually increased the interdivisional games, and I didn't realize that when I actually did my predictions uh, about a week ago. I'm not changing them based off that, off that information, but it does concern me because if that AL East beats up on each other, it may allow those Cardinals to slide into the wild card, which their rotation is absolutely awful. I mean, they're starting Dakota Hudson, Miles Michaelis. You talked about Adam Wainwright, who can he even be 80% of what he was last year? And then Jack Flaherty with the injury. So there isn't much depth there. I am taking out of the NL as my NL champs, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, I don't like that. I am not a Dodger fan. I'm more of a Dodger hater. But you look at the roster, they're a pretty damn good team. Um, Richie, AL. It's AL time. Who do you have yeah. for me? I just want to clarify. You did say AL East in there. I just want to make sure you meant NL East with the Phillies, Mets, and Braves. That's kind of how I interpret They've it. actually swapped. This was a trade that <laughs> went down about five minutes ago. Uh, the yeah. league has traded teams. Um, that was in the There's collective the bargaining agreement, you know? <laughs> All right, moving on to the AL East. I have the Blue Jays with Alec Manoa taking that step. Kevin Gosman there. I think Vlad Guerrero and Bo Bichette can improve on what they have. George Springer now has a year there. He's finally getting comfortable. This is all assuming that all their players are vaccinated. I don't know what that's going to look like as far as visiting teams yet. There's not much word on that. But I think they will have a significant home field advantage one way or another. Moving on to the AL Central, I have the White Sox. There's not much more that can be said. They're dealing with one of the worst divisions, so if they can't come out on top, then we got issues. The Twins might come close, but I don't see it this year. AL West, this is going to be an interesting one, but I like the Seattle Mariners this year. I think with the addition of Robbie Ray, you got Logan Gilbert, Matt Brash looks prized or primed to break out here. You got George Kirby who might come up later. Marco Gonzalez is steady, not the greatest, but then you add in J-Rod kind of takes the pressure off of Jared Kalenic. You know, they're kind of, you know, gearing for that increase. And then you also have the Houston Astros. They're losing Carlos Correa. Yeah, they get Justin Verlander back. But their pitching just isn't what it used to be. I'm trying to pull up their expected rotation. You got Verlander, Framber Valdez, which are really good. But then outside of that, you got Jake Rizzi, Jose Urquidy, and Luis Garcia. Yeah, Garcia had a... A pretty fantastic year last year, but your quitty is hit or miss. Odorizzi, I don't believe in. And maybe Forrest Whitley comes up a little bit near the end of the year, but there's not much to believe that he can contribute. So I like the bats and I like the Seattle Mariners. I think they're just going to have some sort of energy that's going to ride them into winning that AL West. For my wild cards, I do have the Astros, the Tampa Bay Rays, and the Red Sox. The notable one here is the Yankees missing out. I think they've just put too much together. And then we talk about the starting rotation. You know, you've got Garrett Cole, but outside of him, you don't really have much that can really help you. you got Jordan Montgomery, Louis, Louis Severino, who's got injury concerns. Nestor Cortez, yeah, he pitched last year. Jamison Tyone coming back. 
you got James Paxton, but he's on the 60-day IL, you know, coming back from that Tommy John. I just, I, I, they're too young. They don't have the pitching. Maybe they go out and get somebody. But as of right now, I can't put them in my wild card. And then moving on, who's going to the World Series for me? I have the White Sox. I think with Tony Lusa, I think they've got all of the pieces they need, assuming health. You know, you got Lucas Giolito. You know, you've got the bats with Luis Robert. I think he's going to prime. I think he's going to be a top 10 hitter next year. Eloy Jimenez, I think, is going to be a top 10 outfielder. I just like what they have there. Hopefully, Andrew Vaughn can take a step forward. They've got that veteran presence with Jose Abreu. I think they can get it done this year. But then again, I have been wrong in the past, and I've been higher on White Sox compared to other people. But I won't tell my World Series winner between mm-hmm. the White Sox and Mets until you go through your AL. Yeah, um, you're not wrong about the Yankees. Uh, James Paxton did sign with the Red Sox, though, and I don't expect him to do very much this season. Um, I think it could be depth, maybe middle of the summer, come more of August, but I actually don't have the Red Sox making the playoffs either because kind of what you said for the Yankees goes with the Red Sox, and Chris Sale missing as much time as he's going to miss is valuable time in that division that I don't think they're going to be able to catch up in, and they're going to beat up on each other. So... For my actual AL East, I have the Blue Jays taking that division. In my opinion, it is an absolute runaway. The Blue Jays have a much better rotation than their counterparts. They also have a very, very good, talented young lineup, as well as George Springer. Hopefully Springer stays healthy. If he does, I would not be surprised to see him also in MVP conversations with his teammate Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I have the AL Central winners, the White Sox. Don't disagree with what you said. I like their depth. Uh, I think Dylan Cease could have possibly a Cy Young caliber season this year. AL West, I have the Astros. And I think it's interesting that you have the Mariners because I fought very hard with myself keeping the Mariners just out of the postseason. I didn't think that they would actually win the AL West, but I thought they, they have a good enough roster to definitely compete and push for a playoff spot. But when I thought about it, it was really Astros-Angels. I think the Angels have just as good of a shot to win that division if Trout stays healthy. You know, Tani can reproduce what he did last year. Kind of goes into my wild cards. I have the Angels, the Yankees, and the Rays. Uh, Again, Red Sox, nice addition of story, but I just think that rotation is a little bit bit sketchy. And then coming out of the AL in the playoffs, I have the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, I think this is going to be interesting to keep an eye on. This is something Matt and I spoke about in our podcast last night. If they go to the playoffs, does Major League Baseball demand that they play within the United States? You know, if Canada hasn't ended their vaccine requirements, is it fair to send opposing teams to Canada while their best players possibly cannot play? Now, that's not necessarily a fantasy like ramification, but I think overall baseball fans would agree that's going to be a topic to keep an eye on. So I have Blue Jays going up against the Dodgers in the World Series. Richie, who's your winner of that World Series? I think it's the team that went way over the luxury tax and they paid for their championship, and that's the New York Mets. I just got that weird feeling, kind of like with the Los Angeles Rams with the in the NFL. They spent, they went all out, they went for the championship, and they got it. That's kind of the vibe, the feeling I'm getting here. I think when you get a healthy Scherzer and a healthy DeGrom, I mean, all you really need is one additional guy. Hopefully Carlos Carrasco can come back and be healthy and be that guy. If you have those three studs in the playoffs, I mean, you can't really be touched. And I think that's just going to outweigh 
what the White Sox have with their pitchers, and I think ultimately that's going to be the deciding factor. I like it, and I, I think I think the Mets have the opportunity as well with prospects currently in the minor leagues to make a move at the deadline. Now it would completely purge their minor league system, but you now have an owner in place that is willing to spend, has shown he's willing to spend, and when you got a guy like that, you don't necessarily need the same kind of depth you do if you're a small market club like the Mets formerly had kind of been. Um, I've got the Toronto Blue Jays. I just think if they are going to go up against the Dodgers, the Dodgers are masterful at choking. They always seem to find a way to lose outside of their Mickey Mouse World Series championship a few years ago. I just think Vladimir Guerrero, Bo Bichette, George Springer, Jose Barrios, Alec Manoa, Kevin Gosman are going to intimidate the Dodgers off pure youth and ultimate desire to win. Um, and I think Vladdy Jr. goes absolutely crazy in the World Series. Five, six home runs in leads the Toronto Blue Jays to a World Series championship. Well, it'll be completely interesting. Hopefully we get at least one or two of these teams right out of the four. It would be better than my uh, my March Madness bracket. That is for sure. Uh, even if I get one of them, that would be nice. We are moving on. We're going to wrap up this show a little bit quickly here. Um, we're going to go over awards, Richie. So we have MVP winners. We have NL. We have AL. We have Cy Young winners. We have NL. We have AL. And then we'll go to rookies. So go ahead and give me your Cy Young winners for both leagues as well as your MVPs and why. Yeah, the first one for MVP in the NL, I got Juan Soto. Not much to be said there. Kid's a stud. He's been increasing his productivity every year. He looks more composed every time I watch him. And then for the AL, I think Vlad Guerrero, he's got a fire inside of him after missing out on it. Personally, I think he probably should have got it, but you can't really compete with a guy who hits 40-plus home runs and then also takes the mound and pitches a sub-3 ERA. That I mean, you just can't win. So I... I almost picked Otani again this year, but I think there's going to be a slight regression. He did kind of falter near the end of the year, kind of batted under 250, looked a little weathered. So I'm curious to see if Otani can either, he's either going to be even better than last year or he's going to be a lot worse than last year. And so I'm just going to take the safe bet here with Vlad Guerrero and kind of that fire in his belly to kind of hit 60 home runs this year. And then the other people that just missed the cut, Bryce Harper with that power. Ronald Acuna, I think he's just going to miss a little too much time, and I don't know if he's going to run enough with that torn ACL. And then Freddie Freeman in the Los, An Los Angeles Dodgers lineup, I think he's going to have the supporting cast to get enough runs in RBI, and he, obviously he's going to hit for average and power. And then in the AL, I just mentioned it, Otani was in the running, Mike Trout if he stays healthy, and then Jose Ramirez. However, that might have to change if he goes to the Padres. He might have to be a candidate for the NL. And then moving on to my Cy Young winners. For the NL, I have Max Scherzer. Corbin Burns looked fantastic last year, and that's why he won it. But I think Max Scherzer just gets it done this year. Pitching for a better team, he's going to get more wins. And obviously, he's going to get the support. And then for the AL, I kind of went on a limb here, and I'm going Shane Bieber. I think he's going to have a bounce back year. He looked phenomenal before his shoulder injury last year. I think he's healthy now. I think he is back to the pitcher we thought he was. And then in the hunt for the NL, I have Corbin Burns, obviously, with Max Scherzer taking it. And then I also like Brandon Woodruff. And then a guy I've been high on 
all year long. Logan Webb, I think he takes the next step, and I think we're talking about him as a top five, top ten guy. And then a dark horse, DeGrom, if he comes back, stays healthy, you know what you're getting out of him when his projections are around one ERA. That is just astronomical. On the AL side, I like Justin Verlander. I just don't know if he's going to get the innings. And then Garrett Cole, I didn't like him as the Cy Young just because he was a little inconsistent with the sticky stuff last year, so we'll see. And then lastly, Sandy Alcantara. I just like all the progressions he's made throughout the year, and I think he takes another step this year. Yeah, I love everything you said, and I, I fully agree with you on Cole. I've soured a lot since he his time with the Astros, now with the Yankees, the sticky stuff issues that you had mentioned. Um, I still think he puts in the volume to be in the conversation, but that ERA is going to sit around a 3-5 this season. He gives up too many home runs, throws a very straight fastball, and without that sticky stuff, he just doesn't have the same kind of control and the same kind of dominance uh, but starting off with my MVP winners, I have Bryce Harper in the NL. I kind of talked about that with the Phillies winning that division, why I think he should win that. He's going to have more help and more support in that lineup, more counting stats, should get more fastballs. And, and I think ultimately he's going to get challenged by pitchers, which is going to be a mistake for those pitchers. I have Otani repeating in the AL for AL MVP. I, I do think he's going to have, if not the same season, a better season. Um, and that kind of leads me into my AL Cy Young. I have Shohei Otani taking home the AL Cy Young, even though he is pitching in a six-man rotation. You talked about the ability of Jacob deGrom possibly being considered for a Cy Young, even pitching half a season. I think Otani pitching in a six-man, pitching an entire season, actually takes a step forward this season. He had 77 strikeouts on his split finger last year. I think that's his most dominant pitch, but he threw his fastball 44.2% of the time and his cutter 12.1% of the time. If he can kind of take a uh, change of approach, much like Corbin Burns did, where he can lower that fastball percentage, raise that cutter performance, I think we're going to see more ground balls. We're going to see him with lower pitch counts, and he's going to be able to get to that splitter much more efficiently in counts where he's putting pitchers or putting batters away. So I'm picking Otani. I'm not really even considering it to be an out on the limb. Otani was a better pitcher when he came over here from Japan. I think Tommy John really set him back. He is now two years removed from Tommy John. It is his opportunity now to absolutely take that leap forward. And I think with the bat and the pitching, he's going to run into the LeBron James effect where he's just so good every year. People are going to try and find reasons. Well, you know, we've done it before. We got to give it to Vlad. If Otani continues to perform what he did last year, he should never not win MVP. Um, and then moving over to the Cy Young of the National League, this is an absolute out on a limb. I believe in it. I have you, Darvish. I think you, Darvish, again last season, had a terrible, terrible, terrible second half. I think his ERA in the second half was a 6.93, if I remember looking at baseball reference last night. Uh, it was really bad. I think he was a casualty of the short in 2020, was not stretched out, didn't have the stamina to go the entire season. I expect with those mechanical changes that we talked about a few episodes ago for him to come in and lead this Padres pitching staff to the promised land, which is the playoffs. I have you, Darvish. Otani is my Cy Young winners. I have Bryce Harper and Otani as my MVP winners of this 2022 season. All right. Last thing on the show today, Richie, did you want to go ahead and say something? No, no, no. Uh, I like all of them. I don't know if I really believe in you, Darvish. I think he can be in the hunt. I don't think he's going to win it, um, but we'll see. We'll Part see. of me is only saying that because if for any luck of God, he wins it, I can say, look what I said. Um, yeah, but also... Also, I do, I do believe in you, Darvish, and I think it's only perfect timing that when I trade him, 
he wins Cy Young after having that, faith in him for four seasons. It would only make sense. Feel about Aaron Nola. Watch him win. <laughs> watch him win. <laughs> oh, oh, that's just our luck. Um, all right, Richie, let's wrap this up. Let's do rookies of the year. Let's get out of here. Uh, who you got? NL, AL. Yeah, and I'm going to go out on a limb here, and it's my gut feeling. It might also be a homer pick, but I have Aaron Ashby starting, well, technically relief pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers. I do think he finds a way into that rotation, and kind of like Corbin Burns did when he broke through. I don't think he's going to be as great as Corbin Burns, but when you look at the NL, there's not many other rookies that can really compare. Yeah, you have O'Neill Cruz. He's tall. He's got the power, but I worry about pitchers finding holes in his swing and him batting less than 200 but he's going to have 20 30 home runs you got suzuki coming around uh from across the seas i don't like his uppercut swing i know you like that a lot joey bart i like him but he was too inconsistent and then you got seth beer for the arizona diamondbacks haven't really seen much from him so i like aaron ashby here moving on to the al I don't know how you go with anybody other than Julio Rodriguez. Kid is a natural superstar. There's people out there comparing him to a Tati-Soto hybrid. I mean, that's just crazy if you think about it. But in the running, obviously the biggest one to compare him to is Bobby Witt. I think they're going to go neck and neck all year long. I like Jeremy Pena as kind of a third person who could be a dark horse. We mentioned earlier that he can hit for average. He's been in the minors, produced there, could hit for some home runs. I like Matt Brash a lot this year. I think he can provide similar numbers to what Logan Gilbert did last year, maybe a little bit higher strikeout rate. Adley Rutschman, I just don't know if he's going to play enough. He's got that tricep injury. I don't know if the Orioles are going to hold him back a little bit, wait till that Super 2 date, and we don't really see a full year out of him. And then Spencer Torkelson I also thought about, but ultimately – you can't you can't deny Julio Rodriguez. So those were my thoughts, and uh, I'm ultimately going with Ashby and J Rod. Yeah, I like it. I think Ash uh, Aaron Ashby's a it's very out on a limb, but that's the kind of thing that we look for here because usually rookie of the years are not the guys that you actually expected to take home that award. With that being said, I do have Suzuki for the Cubs winning my NL Rookie of the Year. I think even if the uppercut swing takes him out of some at-bats and he only hits 240, 250, you know, takes some time to start to adapt to the major leagues, I think ultimately he's going to have a good second half. There's very little competition in the NL. It is C.J. Abrams. It's O'Neill Cruz. It's Joey Bart. A couple of the pitchers that are going to come up. And I think that this is just a very weak class in the NL this season where Suzuki has the door open and he's had the, he has the most experience. He's the oldest of the group, obviously being a international player. Then my AL, I'm actually going to go a different direction than you. I don't disagree with Julio Rodriguez's potential and upside. I'm going to go Bobby Witt. I think Bobby Witt is going to come out of the gate and perform strong. I think Julio Rodriguez not having played in AAA at all is going to go through some learning curves here and there. I don't love the batting stance. He has a very similar low-hand approach to Eloy Jimenez. Eloy had problems tapping into his power consistently. Uh, it did take him some time to learn how to elevate the ball, a lot of line drives. Um, I do think Rodriguez is great. I just think Witt has a better statistical season than Rodriguez this year. All righty, everyone. This was a great show. We look forward to baseball. It is two days away. Our next episode, we will have a full breakdown of the first week's action, some of the uh, risers after week one, some of the waiver wire guys that you will need to be jumping on. And uh, congratulations, Richie. We made it. It is baseball season 2022.
Yeah, and who would have thought that we didn't know that we'd be having it uh, only a week late with the way the lockout was looking. So I'm excited. Can't wait. We will see you guys next time. Thank you.